This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. And I want to uh, start a whole another series today, and that's why I call it Take a Risk. And there's an old song, it's called Breakaway. And I'm just going to read you just the chorus in Breakaway. It goes, I'll, I'll, I'll spread my wings and I'll learn how to fly. I'll do what it takes till I touch the sky. I'll take a risk, take a chance, make a change and break away. Out of the darkness and into the sun, I won't forget all the ones that I love. I got to take a risk, take a chance, make a change, and break away. Now, you got to understand right off the bat, I'm not talking about taking, you know, an uncalculated risk because there's lots of things you can do. You can jump out of the steeple and say, let me see if I can fly. But that's not a very smart risk, is it? No, it's not, you know. But we're taking, talking about taking a risk that God would advocate us to take. So let me just give you a, a good verse to start off here with. But it says here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Now see, there is a temptation to depend on what we learned in school what we learned in college, what we learned at a seminar, what we learned out of a book, what we learned on a tape, what we learned on the radio or on the computer or at YouTube. There's a tendency to learn from other humanity. And all the things that you learn are not necessarily bad, but it says put your trust, you know, in the Lord with all, and what percentage is all? 100%. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. <laughs> you know, that's, it's talking about taking a risk by putting your trust in God. You know, you haven't seen with your natural eye. You know, you're, you're going to put your trust in someone that you haven't actually seen. He goes on to say, seek his will, not my own, not out of my own book learning, but it says, seek his will in, what's that word? What percentage is it? 100%. See God's will in all that you do. You mean I could even seek God in what I should have for lunch today? Wouldn't be a bad idea. God created you. He knows what you like and he knows the vitamins and nutrients that you need. But it says here, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't we need the wisdom of Almighty God to know which path to take? We really do, you know. We really need that. It's it's very, very important. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment there. Is anybody today could use 20 bucks? Okay, well, I want to give it to the first person who can come up here and stand at the end of the pulpit. Give him a hand. Now, just so you know, I disinfected this $20 bill. Oh, good, good. I disinfected it, and it was wet. 
when I put it into this envelope. That's why it's curved. And then I came in this morning and I got me some Lysol that kills 100% of the germs. And I disinfected it with that. So it's pretty good. And just where I'm touching, you grab a hold over there. And just where I'm touching, it's disinfected again. Okay? So there's $20. Look and see. It could have changed to a dollar bill. Twenty bucks. Okay, give him a hand. You know, I think I've given you something before. Some folks are just like really believable. You know, it's just like, okay, man, this is wonderful. Well, now see, I offered a gift of twenty bucks. Offered twenty gift of twenty bucks. Mark believed it. He came up quick as he could, and he took it. You know. He accepted the gift from me. Now, God offers us a gift of salvation. And I'm going to tell you something. You get it in the exact same way. You take a risk. Now, Mark took a risk coming up here, you know. I think you all took a risk just by coming to church today, didn't you? Take a risk when you go to the grocery store, you know, with this world in which we're living in right now. But see... God offers us the gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation, and it's the same way. You got to believe it, <clears throat> and you got to take it. And when He is offering to forgive you right in this moment, you know, if you haven't already received it, you just reach out and you take it and say, "I, I, I take that." You, you offered it, and I'm going to take it as my very own. It ain't complicated. It happens that quickly. We're not talking about that you're promising, well, I'll do good and I'll be good for all the rest of my... That has nothing to do with it. When you get to heaven, God will not go, okay, get over here on the scales. Let's weigh your good and weigh your bad and see which one weighs the most. It don't matter. Your good works will probably be far greater than mine. But we don't get to heaven based on good works. You know that. When you're safe and when you're forgiven, you want to do good stuff. Not because God's going to weigh it, because he's not. But just by going and saying, I'm going to do more good than he did or she did, that don't get you to heaven. It's faith, and it's believing in God, and you're taking the forgiveness. It's a, how much, how much did you have to work for that, Mark? It was free? It was. It was a gift? And salvation is free and it is a gift. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You can't do enough of good works for it. You just got to believe it and accept it. Just like that. That's just the way it is, you know. You got to take a risk and accept the gift that Almighty God gives you. Now, some people, you might be saying, well, what will people think? Who cares what people think? To be honest with you, you're $20 ahead, right? Who cares what people think? I'm forgiven. My name is written in the book of life. I'm going to heaven. You know. Now, any risk that the devil will try to get you to take, you know that's not the kind of risk I'm talking about. Any risk the devil will tempt you with will be harmful. He will tempt you to take a risk and disobey God. Well, don't turn the other cheek. Don't bless those who curse you, you know. I mean, you, 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 you hit somebody who hits you, you know. And I mean, the devil would tempt us. 
hey, if you're going to take some risks, disobey God. That, that's what his whole thing is. And that's not what we want to do, you know. Now, the folly of human nature, and this is why we don't want to just be led and controlled by human nature. The folly of human nature is neatly summed up by the case of the middle-aged school teacher who invested her life savings in a business enterprise which had been elaborately explained to her by a swindler. Would you like a real business, good business deal explained to you by a swindler? When her investment disappeared and the wonderful dream was shattered, she went to the office of the Better Bureau, the Better Business Bureau. Why on earth, they asked, didn't you come to us first? Didn't you know about the Better Business Bureau? Oh, yes, said the lady sadly. I've always known about you, but I didn't come because I was afraid you'd tell me not to do it. Because I was afraid you was going to tell me it wasn't real. It was a scam. And, and it looked so exciting and so good. I didn't want you to tell me not to do it. That's why I didn't ask you. But I'm coming and telling you about it right now. Which would be the wisest thing to do? Well, you'd come and find out from the Better Business Bureau first. But see, that's the way the enemy of our soul works. He'd get us to take a risk on something that is far from the truth. That's humanity. When you have a way to check it out by the Better Businessmen Bureau or you have a way to check things out in God's word and you do what it says there. Um, he tells us in Proverbs 28, it says, hard workers have plenty of food. Is that true? We've been having plenty of food, haven't we? We plant a garden. Sometimes our garden takes place with lights at night. <laughs> but we've had all kinds of awesome, fantastic vegetables, you know, and, and, and all kinds of things. But you know the constant, uh, the, the, uh, the principle if you work hard and somebody pays you a salary you got enough to buy your food with, and, and you can have a garden. But it takes hard work either way. Hard workers have plenty of food playing around. That's just talking about following, you know, empty pursuits. Just playing around brings poverty. Which risk will you take? Will you take the risk of working hard? Or are you going to take the risk of just fooling around? You know, pursuing empty pursuits, you know? Just, just pleasure. I'm just going to pursue only pleasure, you know. Hard workers have plenty of food. Playing around brings poverty. It says in verse 20, the trustworthy, that means the dependable, the reliable, the faithful, the truthful, the honorable, the trustworthy will get a, what's that say? A rich reward. Now, don't. Don't, don't jump to conclusions on this because some people got this all backwards. It says the trustworthy will get a rich reward. It's not saying those who have rich rewards are trustworthy. That's not what it's saying at all. He says the trustworthy 
will get a rich reward. But the person who wants to get rich quick, oh, I just want to get rich quick. I don't have to put all that time and all that hard work. I just want to get rich quick, you know. That's why Jesse James used to rob banks and stagecoaches because he wanted to get rich quick, you know. But he says, but the person who wants to get rich quick will only get into trouble. So getting, you know, a rich reward does not mean you're trustworthy. But to be trustworthy, that's the way you'll get a rich reward. You're just dependable, reliable, you know, honorable. You're trustworthy and rich rewards will come to you. That's what the Bible says. But you're saying, oh, I just want to get rich quick and that'll show I'm trustworthy. No, it don't. It does not show that at all. You know, we kind of got it backwards there. There was these two brothers. You probably have heard of them. They was working on, oh, quite a few years ago, on the ability for man to fly. Who was that? The, not the wrong brothers, but the right brothers, okay? And I think they probably took some pretty serious risk because I looked at some of their inventions in the earlier days and I've seen them crash some, you know, on some uh, movie video that had been taken of them years ago, but they had a dream and they had determined to fly and it has benefited us and it's benefited the gospel. People travel all around the world sharing the gospel because you can get there really, really quick now, but they took some risk and it was a good risk to take. You know, they took some calculated risk and they discovered how man could fly. Now, anybody here like lobster? Yeah, so like, mm, what we have for lunch today? Lobster, if you can go catch it, you know. Uh, but think about lobsters for just a moment. This is what I do know about lobsters. Lobsters have to leave their shell periodically. I think it's called molting. And they have to leave their shell in order to grow. The back of their shell, it just pops open. And they have this choice. To leave it so they can grow. Or to stay with the old shell and be imprisoned in the shell that's getting too tight. You know, very confining. And if you stay in that thing, it becomes your casket. Think about that for a moment. And what's on the outside of that shell? Oh, there's hungry fish swimming around. They're looking for that nice soft lobster. Every part of them just nice and Soft and delicious. See, lobsters have a skeleton on the outside of their body where you and I have a skeleton on the inside of their body. And so when it's time for them to grow, if they want to grow, they got to come out of that old shell and uh, they'll hide under the rocks and, and down in the seaweed and stuff where nothing can eat them. And it just takes a little bit of time for their new shell to develop and get hard and become armor plating to them once again. Well, we're not much different from lobsters. We must be willing, you know, to risk change in order to grow. Are we willing to risk some change? Have you experienced any change in the last 20 years? We, we have, and you know what? We've, we, we, we've experienced a lot of change over the last 50 years and over the last I don't know if you're 100 or not here today, but uh, there's a lot of change 
that has been taking place from our forefathers, isn't there? And if, if, if we're willing to take a risk and change, because the Bible tells us as we behold God, as we look upon God in his word, he changes us, transforms us from glory to glory. So we've got to be willing to take some risk that almighty God wants us to take, you know? Will you take the risk that God puts in between, before you? Or will you leave, uh, you know, your focus on that old shell? Oh, it was such a nice shell. Do you just keep looking back at the way things were? Are you willing to take a risk and do something different, you know? God has something so much better for you. And it's all based upon what God's... I'm not supposed to come out here, am I? But right up there it says what? The best is yet to come. And I'm telling you, that is based upon biblical principles. The best is yet to come. And we have to take a risk. Like coming up to the platform, getting 20 bucks. Like receiving the gift from Almighty God. Taking a risk to... Receive it, no matter what anybody else thinks or says about it. We, we take risk anytime we obey Almighty God. We take a risk. That's just the way life is. He says here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. I haven't reached perfection. Has anybody here reached perfection yet? Not even, we had one person raise their hand last night. <laughs> and they probably had, but when they raised their hand, they lost it right there. You know. And it's very important to recognize what the apostle said here. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection, but, but I keep working toward the day. He says, I'm working, I'm, I'm, I keep taking risk. <laughs> When I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me forth and wants me to be. See, God has a purpose for every man and woman in this building. Every man and woman, you know, boy and girl who's watching us online or or, or however you're hearing it. God has a purpose for your life. And we must be men and women who will take a risk. if, If we want to move forward and grow. And become all that God wants us to become. Anyhow, he says here in verse 13, he says, No, dear friends, I am still not all I should be. But I am focusing all my... How much is all? What percentage is that? I am focusing 100% of my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past. Forgetting about the old shell I spent a lot of time in, like the lobster. You got to forget the old shell in order to change and get a new one that fits you just rightly. He says, I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I don't care if there is a pandemic. I don't care if there's a coronavirus. God's word is still true and the best is still yet to come. That is the truth of it. 
The best is yet to come. And everywhere I look in God's word, I just see it over and over and over that God answers prayer and he changes us from glory to glory. And it all, all things work together for uh, good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's just the way it is. And he says here in verse 14, I strain, I'm straining to reach the end of the race. I'm straining to finish the race, he's saying here. I'm straining. I'm taking some risks by running this race, but I'm straining to reach the end and to finish the race and receive the prize. I'm taking some risks to receive that prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. And it takes some risk to run in a race. You might fall down. You might not be the first one to cross the finish line. There's risk when you run any kind of a race. And God has us in a race right now. And he wants us to forget the starting line. And he wants us to reach toward the finish line. Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 says, The spirit and the bride say, what's that word? Come. Let each one who hears him say, come, let the thirsty ones do what? Come. And anyone who wants to, let them do what? Come and drink the water of life without charge. That means it's free. You know, it's free. It, it seems risky to come to Christ. It seems risky to accept Christ, you know. What are people going to think? You want them old holy rollers, you know? You're one of them Jesus freaks, you know? But I'm going to tell you one day, and this is absolutely the truth, and you'll find it written in your Bible one day, there'll be two lines standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And those over here are in the line with the goats. And over here is the line with the sheep. And those in here with the goats, it's like, well, what did you do with Jesus? Well, I didn't make no time for him. I mean, there's just so many gods out there. I just, I didn't bother. Or maybe I just, I just, I didn't want to, you know, or I'd seen some people acting quacky or I just didn't have time for whatever it might be. And he'll say, now this will actually happen for those who rejected Christ. He'll say, depart from me. And two, there's a place, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. There really is. And there's another line over there, you know. And the most horrible thing that the people are in this line are going to experience is somebody's going to say, hey, there's my friend. You knew about this and you didn't, you didn't tell me there was a judgment coming one day? You didn't tell me? You didn't tell me that he would pardon me and forgive me if I just took it and received his gift? But after we die, it's too late, you see. And that will probably happen. There'll be people over in that line going like, you knew about this? You knew that Jesus was coming back and one day we would stand before Almighty God and you didn't take the risk and tell me about it? If you got loved ones and friends, they, they need to know about Jesus. I don't know how much time we got, but I'll promise you this. We don't have that much. We don't have that much time. I mean, all the things in this world right now are happening just the way the, the good book says they're going to happen. 
And the thing is, whenever it is, we just need to be ready. We need to have, like Mark, we just got to take the gift. We got to receive the forgiveness and say thank you. It's not that you can earn it, but you just take it. You receive what God has offered. You got to come to him and receive a drink from that fountain of living water. That, that's what he's talking about here, you know. You know what those are? I, I can't hear you. There's acorns and hickory nuts and stuff like that up here. Do you know who goes for, for these things? Squirrels. You ever seen squirrels? Now, squirrels can teach you a lot. They are risk takers. They are. If a squirrel never took a risk, he would live his entire life in one tree. I'm not going to climb down there. That fox is going to get me. That coyote, that bobcat's going to get me. Someone's going to get me. I'm going to stay up here in this tree and eat all the nuts until there ain't no more nuts left. And, but do, do squirrels stay in one tree? Not at all. You ever seen that squirrel jump from that limb? And he misses the limb over here, but he catches the limb below it. It's like, not a problem. I've actually seen a squirrel miss the limb altogether. And he looks around first, if anybody's watching him, brushes himself off and goes back up the tree. For real. I've seen that what, three different times in my life. But see, if, if you're not willing to take some risk, your tree's going to run out of nuts. <laughs> you live in one tree all your life. You'll never experience any adventure that God has in store for you if you just live in one tree all your life. And that's what you and I can learn from squirrels. You ever seen squirrels, you know, uh, walk on a power line? I've seen them crossing roads. They're saying, it's safer up here than it is down there. I see my buddy on the side of the road down there. I'm going across the power line, you know. But they will dart across the road. Uh, they'll take a risk, and that's how they survive, because they take a risk. They don't live in one tree all their life. Not at all, you know. God tugs at your heart, you know, to, to do something. And you, you ever take a risk and obey God? No? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I wasn't sure. Take a risk and obey God, whatever it might be. Well, I'm going to take a risk and, and I'm going to pray. You know, taking a risk. I mean, I could just be wasting my time, but I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to pray. Wow, look at there. God answered my prayer. You know, I'm going to take my, I'm going to, I'm going to support an orphan. You know, I, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to give something away. I'm going to take a risk and, and, and share some of my time and my inner, I, I'm going to take a risk and, and, and do what Christ did on this world and, and let people know about his forgiveness. I'm going to take a risk. Well, see, you and I can take a risk and we can obey what the Bible says, you know. Do, you know what they call that kind of a risk? Faith. You take a risk. God says, do this. And you take a risk and you do it. That's faith. 
You read throughout the Bible, you'll see time after time after time, he'll say, you know, because of your faith, you was healed. Because of your faith, this happened. It was taking a risk. And when you take a risk, it's nothing more than evidence of faith. When you take a risk and obey God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the Bible is extremely clear about, you know. Faith risks everything. It really does for God and for his purpose. This is what it says in Mark chapter 5, 21. It says, when Jesus went back across to the other side of the lake, a large crowd around him, you know, a large crowd around him on the shore. It says in, in verse 22, a leader of the local synagogue whose name was, how would you pronounce that? Jairus? Jairus? Why don't we merge them together? Jairus, okay? Sounds good enough for me. What did I know? But I know who he is and I know what he did. And it says the leader of the local synagogue, I mean, he was one of the big shots of their day. He was one of the leaders. Everybody looked up to him in that day. A leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus came and fell down before him. This is Jesus, who a crowd was following. Came down and he fell down before him. Now, this man, Jairus, he was a VIP. He was a very important person. He was one of the officials, you know, from the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus had attended. And see, most of these priests and all these high religious guys, they didn't care much for Jesus because he was, Jesus was in competition with them. And Jesus would do freely what they had charged for, you know. Anyhow, if you started following Jesus, that was a big risk because what are people going to think? Now, you want leaders in our community, and you can't be following this radical old guy here. That's really the way it was. And it says here, I'm going to start all over. Mark chapter 5, it says, when Jesus went back across to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. A leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, came and fell down before him, pleading with Jesus. He wasn't there trying to dialogue and convince Jesus to do something. No, he fell down on his knees. He humbled himself. He was weeping, pleading with him to heal his little daughter. Can you understand the heart of a dad whose daughter is dying? Can you imagine what was going on inside of the heart of a daddy who's saying, would you please heal my daughter? Can you imagine how he was feeling at that very moment? Nothing else really mattered. It didn't matter that he was a VIP. It didn't matter what anybody else said or done or thought. Pleading with him to heal his daughter. And she is about to die. And he said in desperation, she's about to die. Please heal her. And everybody's watching this crowd. Please come and place your hand on her. I've heard that you do that kind of a thing. Heal her so she can live. Jairus, he took a risk in asking Jesus to do something. He didn't know if he was going to do it or not. He didn't know what people were going to think or not. But he took a risk and he asked Jesus to do that which seemed to be impossible. Verse 24, it says, Jesus went with him. 
Now, at this moment, what's happening, Jesus went with them. Jesus is on his way to help a somebody because Jairus was a somebody. And this is a somebody's daughter. So Jesus was on his way to help a somebody important. Precious little girl. He's on his way to help a somebody. That's what's going on right now. And it says, and the crowd thronged or it pressed in. It was so many people that were just pressing and crowding behind Jesus. And there was a woman in this crowd. She was a nameless nobody. There's a woman who's this nameless nobody. She was a insignificant non-person in her society at that time. So there's this woman, a nobody, who had had a hemorrhage, you know, a a chronic hemorrhage in in her female parts and all. She had been bleeding and bleeding and bleeding is what the Bible tells us. This, This woman with this hemorrhage for how long? 12 years. So everybody knew about it. You got to understand this. Everybody knew about it. And, and at this moment in the crowd, she was unnoticed. This is a good thing that nobody recognizes her. Uh, women in that day and time were treated more like, well, I got five goats, two ox, you know, uh, 16 sheep and a wife. The women, I'm not teasing you. It was wrong, but they were treated like livestock. It's a part of my property, part of my possessions. That's the way just normal women was. But now this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, she was very sick. And you could not touch a woman who was this sick and and who had an issue of blood nonstop for 12 years because it would make you what they called ceremonially unclean. So you couldn't go to church. You couldn't give your gifts. You couldn't fast. You couldn't celebrate with other people because ceremonial, uh, unclean, you became for several days until you went through the purification. That was just the way the rules was back in those days. So when you uh, have an issue of blood and, and she was known 12 years, people knew what was going on in this woman. And so she was kind of hiding out because if anybody bumped into her, they would not be allowed to go to church. They wouldn't be allowed in the synagogue to participate in their religious activity because they would be considered unclean. So this woman, that's why she was doing it behind Jesus, sneaking through the crowd with her, you know, her headpiece on, probably just to kind of camouflage herself a little bit. She probably felt worthless, to be honest with you, useless. She probably felt of no account. Women felt pretty bad already as it was. And good for nothing because that's the way the men would treat them lots of times. It wasn't right. And Jesus came and he changed that whole deal. But it says in verse 26, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors through the years. And she had spent how much? And what percentage is that? She had spent 100% of what she had. She had to pay them. She spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. That was bad enough. 
In fact, she was worse. And this is very normal. This is very natural to call upon Jesus last. After you've tried everything else, every book you've read, every doctor, every scientific breakthrough, you've tried everything that everybody said or their grandma's recipe or they're this. After everything you tried, then you say, okay, it's time to go to God. That is the natural, the normal way that people take. And all of those other things, ain't nothing wrong with them, but we just can't leave God out of the picture you see here. It's important. It says here in verse 27, she had heard about Jesus. She, she, she heard about Jesus. And she came up where? Behind. She didn't want him to see her. And she didn't want all the other people going that way to see her. Unclean woman, get away, get away, get away. Throw a rock at her. And they would throw a rock at you in a heartbeat. And if you wouldn't leave, they would leave a pile of rocks on top of you. That's the truth. They would stone you to death. That's just the way they were in those days. It says, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she she touched the, the fringe of his robe. Just the tiniest. Nobody would know it, you know. that He couldn't possibly feel it. Touched the fringe of his robe. For she thought to herself. And I'm going to tell you something. Thinking is the first step that we take in taking a risk. Thinking and believing and taking a risk and, and having faith and receiving a miracle. You begin to think this way. For she thought to herself, she didn't say this out loud to nobody. She thought to herself, if, if I can just touch his clothing, I will be healed. That's faith thinking. And, and then faith to start talking. And then faith to start doing. And miracles to start happening. And, and, and the opposite is true. Like, well, I can't do that. Well, that won't work. He wouldn't do that for me. That's just doubt and fear and anxiety talking. And you don't want to go that way. Because according to your faith, be it unto you. Whatever you believe, that's what you're going to get. <clears throat> and it says in verse 28, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothing, just the, the fringe of it, I will be healed. And she took the risk. She could have received tremendous punishment, severe punishment. If somebody had caught her and saw, Rabbi, that's what they would call Jesus, Rabbi, unclean woman, she just touched you. And she touched some of us in the crowd trying and they would have stoned her. They would have been severe with this woman. That's just the way the law was in those days. Verse 29. Immediately. She touched the fringe of his, the, the fringe of, of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Because she knew what it felt like to bleed for 12 years. And it stopped. So dynamically, she could tell it. Immediately, the bleeding stuff, and she could feel that she had been healed! Exclamation mark. But something happened. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. 
So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? Oh, Jesus then got caught. Who touched my clothes? Can you imagine being in a huge crowd of people like at the Apple Harvest Festival or something? Being in a huge crowd. And someone, who touched me? And not in the front either. It's just a little bit on the fringe of your garment. Who touched my clothes? His disciple said to him, all this crowd is pressing around you. The disciples are saying this to Jesus. How can you ask who touched me? How, Jesus, how can you ask us who touched you? They didn't understand spiritual things at all. Now, you and I, because of what we've read about her, we know who touched her. It was a nobody touched her. We know that. The disciples thought it was an any, anybody could have touched you, Jesus. How in the world do we know? Anybody. They're all pressing around you. We know it was a nobody. The disciples thought it was an anybody. But Jesus, he knew it was a somebody. He knew it was a somebody. And it says here in verse 32, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And I am sure he made eye contact with her a couple of times. And he knew who it was. He was just giving her opportunity to fess up. He's like, well, now who touched my clothes? And now she knows she has gotten caught. Verse 33 says, and then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, she's realizing, I have been made whole. Um, She came and she fell down at his feet and told him what she had done. And she confesses like, I stole a miracle from you. You didn't give it to me. I just, I thought to myself, if I could touch you, I'd be healed. And and I did. And I was. And you didn't offer it to me. So I stole a miracle from, maybe it's a miracle you was going to take to that little girl, Jairus' daughter. But she told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter. Now she is really a somebody. She ain't no nobody. She's not just a not anybody, but Jesus called her daughter. And Jesus said to her daughter, he claimed her as his very own daughter. You're, you're my daughter. You're my girl. Daughter, what's the next two words say? Your faith has made you well. He didn't reprimand her or say you made me ceremonially unclean. No, Jesus made her clean and whole and healed. That's just what happened there. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And if you'd been back here, oh, six weeks ago, when we were talking about peace and you learned the real definition, the biblical definition of peace there in the Old Testament, it meant wholeness, body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus said, go in peace. You're whole. 
you have been healed. Men and, and women of faith, they take risk. They, 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 they do what they think that they can do. When they, they've seen Jesus and heard what Jesus has been doing, and then they say to himself, well, well, if I could just get there and touch the hem of his garment, I'd be healed. Or if I would just do like Mark did, and I just reach out and take a hold of forgiveness, same way he got 20 bucks, I could get forgiveness and salvation. We see it in the Word of God, and we learn that way. I just got to read it one more time. And he said to her, daughter, not my faith, not these guys, but your faith. You believed it. What do you believe today? Whatever you believe is what you will take a risk at. What do you believe today? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You have been healed. Jesus declared your faith, your taking a risk made you well about that woman. Faith always takes risk. Faith, read through the Bible. Read, read Hebrews 11. You'll see men and women of faith was always taking risks. Peter, uh, you know, stepped out of a boat, a perfectly good boat. Because there was faith. He took the risk of stepping out of the boat and walking out over to Jesus. And he walked on water for a little bit until he started thinking about what in the world am I doing out here? You know, I hear the wind and I see the waves and, and well, a man can't do this. And he sank and then Jesus pulled him back up and they walked back to the boat. But real faith will take risk. That's just the way it is, you know. You know, it was a risk that Susan and I took. On October the 1st, it will be 40 years. Now, we actually came 41 years ago. We came to New Haven. That's where we laid our foundation. And then we came over here to Southington, you know, uh, and began to teach a Bible study. And then 40 years ago was when we started a church right here in Southington. 40 years ago. Now, we left our mamas and our daddies. And when I was in Bible school... You know, I had an aunt, and she was pretty well off, and she left me a whole house full of antique furniture. I'm talking about real special kinds of stuff that was immaculate. What did we do with all that stuff when we came up here? We left it all behind and let the Bible school students use it. And it vaporized and disappeared. We never saw it again. We don't think too much about that. We left more valuable things than that. We left our family all behind. We took a risk by coming to a Connecticut. What in the world is a Connecticut anyhow, you know? But we took a risk 41 years ago to come to Connecticut and it's the best thing we ever did. You, do you have any regrets of coming here? And I don't either. Listen to what it says in Hebrews eleven six. 6. It says, so you see, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without taking a risk. Because if you believe something, you're going to take a risk. You know? If you, believe, if you believe that that canoe will float in the lake, you're going to take a risk and you're going to get in that thing and paddle it. You know? If you believe something, you're going to take some risk. That's just the way it is. And it says, so you see, it's impossible to please God without faith. Without taking some risk, you know. Men and women of faith take risks routinely, oftenly. 
You know, that's what they do, men and women of faith. They take risk on a regular basis. Anyone who wants to come to him must do what first? Believe that there is a God. That is taking a risk to to believe that there is a, a God. You can't see him. But I'll tell you what, if you read his word, he'll speak to you. You know, well, I, I don't believe in God. Can, have you ever, do you text people that you can't see? Yeah. Well, God's been texting for a long time. You know, and a lot of people have been receiving the text. And they talk to him in prayer, and then he talks back to them. He's been sending texts for a long time. And it builds our faith in an unbelievable kind of a way. So, it, so you see, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God, and that take, that's taking a risk, and that he does what? He rewards those who sincerely seek him. That's taking a risk. It's taking a big risk to seek God. You know why? Oops. Don't get upset with me, honey. I just stepped a wee bit past there, okay? I keep forgetting there, okay? You, you, you know what? If you seek God, you know what might happen if you seek him? You find him. Whoa, you, you find God. It's everything that he said he was. It's miraculous. And he says there, you must believe that there is a God. Yes. And that he rewards those who sincerely seek him, whether it's in a pandemic or, or whatever it is, when you sincerely seek God, he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And what does he do for them when you sincerely seek him? He rewards you. That's what he says. He rewards you. This one says in Acts chapter 15, verse 25. So it seemed good to us, having unanimously agreed on our decision to send you these official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and, and Paul. And, and you know what Barnabas was known for? He was the encourager. He, he really was. He was the great encourager. I think that's what Barnabas means, encouragement. Do you, anybody know what yesterday was? It was the 13th. Today is the 13th. It was the 12th. And what day does that come after? Comes after September the 11th. And did you know that the 11th is followed by the 12th, and the 12th has been designated by politicians many, many years ago. The 12th is considered the day of encouragement. Did you know that? And we need to encourage one another because all the craziness that happened 19 years ago. And thank God for the, the first responders. Thank God for all the policemen and the firemen and, and the medical people and the, 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 the EMTs and, and uh, you know, military. All the people who, who got involved and gave their lives, genuinely gave their lives trying to help people. Because that's what they make commitments to do. The, the law enforcement, they, they give their lives to help people. And, and so does the military and so does the EMTs and the doctors and the, the nurses and the fire. They, they, they dedicate, I'm going to give my life to help people in their times of need. And, and yesterday was the day of encouragement after great tragedy when the Twin Towers came down. 
And, and two other planes, I believe it was, crashed somewhere. Or was it one? Two. And there were some people on one plane who knew what was happening because it was on their cell phones talking and they was telling their loved ones goodbye and we love you. And they took a risk. They said, this plane is not going to go and crash into the Capitol. And they took a vote on it and then they charged the cockpit and it cost them their lives. And we will pray for and support all of our first responders. We will do that. And we will encourage them and thank them. We'll take a risk and we'll say the right thing and do the right thing that Christ would have done. That's what we'll do. And it says here, picking up in verse 26 is Acts 15. We just read verse 25. Verse 26 says... Who, talking about Barnabas and Paul, who have done what? Risk their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you such a taker of risks that you would risk your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you risk your life for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ? Disciples took the risk and they, they left all to follow him. They left their boats and their nets. Matthew left all the money, all of his taxes that he had been accumulated. They they left it all to follow Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. And it made a huge difference for people in that day, but it's also impacted me in in this day and time. When you begin to to love God and you begin to love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and then you you love your neighbor as yourself, I'm going to tell you that changes things. And that is a huge risk that we will take. It's worth the risk to obey Almighty God. It's worth the risk. There's an old Greek story of a soldier under, what was that word again? You don't remember what that word was. Anti, Antigonus. That was close anyhow. There's an old Greek story of a soldier under Antigonus who had an extremely painful disease that was likely to bring him soon to the grave. And the soldier was always first in the charge, rushing into the hottest part of the battle. And as the bravest of the brave, his pain prompted him to fight that he might forget this pain. And he was not afraid of death because he knew that in any case, he had not long to live. Antigonus greatly admired the valor of his soldier and discovered his malady, his, his disease, and had him cured by one of the most eminent physicians of that day. But from the moment this warrior was cured, he was absent from the front of the battle. Now he sought his ease. For as he remarked to his companions, he had something worth living for. Health and home and family and other comforts. And he would not risk his life now as he had before. So when our troubles are many, we're often uh, by grace made courageous in serving our God. And we feel that we have nothing, when we feel we have nothing to live for, in this world, and, and we're driven by hope of the world to come, we exhibit zeal 
and self-denial in industry. But how often is it different in better times? For the joys and pleasures of this world make it hard for us to remember the world to come and we sink into shameful ease. So says Charles Haddam Spurgeon. He, he wasn't willing to make, take the risk anymore because he had a lot of comforts and a lot of pleasures. Well, listen to what it says here in 2 Timothy 4.8. It says, and now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. So we need to keep our eyes on the prize and keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on heaven. It says, and the prize is not just for me, the apostle says, and the prize is not just for me, but for all. And that includes us. What, what percentage is all? And it says, but this prize is for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. And that is me. I'm looking eagerly to his glorious return. Can't wait. And thinking that you use such a foolish man as me. He's going to surprise everybody. He wasn't very smart, but you use him anyhow. That is pretty good. You are an amazing God, you know. What about you? Is this talking about you? Are you eagerly looking forward to his glorious return, the, the return of Christ Jesus, you know? Are you willing to take risk, you know? Have, I am crucified with Christ. Crucified means died. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the scripture just goes on and on and on and on. But when you identify that I've died to my old sinful nature, well, you're not just living for this world no more. You're living for the next world. That's what I'm talking about. And he says here, this is what Jesus says. This is pretty tough. Matthew 10, 38 says, and Jesus is speaking. He says, if you refuse to take up your cross... And you know what crosses are made for? Crucifixion. You know, if, you're, if you refuse to take up your cross and die to your selfish ambitions and, and, and deny yourself, if Jesus, if, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Jesus said that. It's pretty tough, but it's true. It's the truth. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will find it. If you give up yourself for God, you will find yourself. Finally, you'll find yourself. You remember the Good Samaritan? We don't have time to read about him. Oh, I have so much good stuff I want to tell you about him that you don't probably already know about. And some other things and other things and other things. Five extra pages you don't get to hear about. Maybe until next week. I don't know. But I do know this. You have been called. You guys, you have been called of the almighty God. And he has called you to see the invisible. God has called you to see the invisible. And he's called you to do the impossible. I'm not just blowing smoke here. I'm telling you the absolute truth. And he has called you to love and to serve him and to love and serve one another. That's what he's called us to do. 
Are you a taker of risk? Are you a man or a woman of faith? A man or woman of faith takes risk, you know. And will you at some time today get alone by yourself somewhere and, and make a pledge? And you pledge your allegiance to the Lamb of God who willingly took some mighty, massive, powerful risk and he gave his life on the cross for you and me to wipe our sins away. So one day he'll take us to heaven to be with him. It's going to be fantastic and awesome and worth it all. I'm telling you, that's just the truth of it. But do you know him today? Is your name written in the book of life today? Have you received the forgiveness? Because God is on the move right now and he's after you with one purpose in mind and that is to forgive you. And you may have sowed some bad seeds and God is on the move and he's after you to forgive you so you don't reap the consequences of the bad seeds you sowed. So there'll be a crop failure to those bad seeds. God is on the move because he's crazy about you. And he'll call you son and he'll call you daughter. Now notice I'm not getting in front of the pulpit here at all. I'm staying behind it like I was told to do. Let me continue. Just real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 11 says, Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. Because we serve Jesus. So that the life of Jesus will be obvious in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But it has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had. When he said, the psalmist said, he said what? I believed in God. And so I speak. I believe in God and I got to tell you about him. He's on the move. He's looking for you to forgive you. God has never been mad at you. Is not mad at you now and will never be mad at you. God wants to forgive you and to pardon you because he loves you. And anybody who tells you otherwise is telling you a bold-faced lie. God wants to forgive you. He wants you to live eternally with him. That's why Christ went to the cross, to forgive you, not to, to speak mean things about you. He's like, please receive my forgiveness. You can't go to heaven without being forgiven. Please receive my forgiveness. I've got a place prepared for you. You can spend eternity with me. And there is no, nothing that we're going to remember if you just receive the pardon. You've got to believe and you've got to receive it. If Mark had not believed, he would have not come up here and received the $20 bill that, or the two tens that we gave him a little while ago. And if you don't believe what God says, you're not going to receive. And he just wants to forgive you. That's all it is. He just wants to forgive you. Verse 14 says, we know that the same God who raised our Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. You and I are going to be raised up the same way Jesus was. Listen to this merchant here. Jesus is telling us another uh, story. He says again, Matthew 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of what? <laughs> of great value. He sold everything he owned uh, and he bought it. 
Now, we often understand it, rightfully so, that Jesus is that pearl of great value. And we willingly give up everything that we'll have him as our Lord and Savior. But let me tell you the other side of the coin. Jesus looks at you as the pearl of great value. And he gave up everything. And the Bible says he left his riches in glory. He's the son of God. He created this whole planet. He, he, he left his divine, heavenly, miraculous powers. He never worked a miracle until he was 30 years old. Not one. He, he left it all behind. He, he left his ability to, to call upon all the angels. He just laid it aside. He could have called them angels to defend him and protect him and do anything, but he just, he left it all. Jesus gave everything up so he could come to this earth and live just like a normal human being so he could die in your place and pay for your sins. You are the pearl of great price. And he gave his life for you. And if you'd have been the only person on this planet, he would have given his life for you. And for you and for you and your, for you because he loves you and he's crazy about you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He wants to pardon you and forgive you. And I don't know how much longer we got before we're going to see him face to face. And we don't want to stand before God as our judge. We want to stand before him as our savior, as our forgiver. That's what we want to do. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse two says, for God says at just the right time, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, on the day of salvation, on the day of salvation, I help you. Do you know when the day of salvation is? Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait until you die to find out if you made it to heaven or not. That is a bad, bad idea. Because you can't come back and change nothing at that point in time. And you're well, he's going to weigh my good mind. God don't weigh good versus bad. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. That is a lie from the fence of hell. So we'll try to just do good works to get to heaven. But it's having faith and receiving the gift. That's how you get to heaven. The Bible is extremely clear about that. For some people, today is the last day they have on this planet. I received a phone call from a dear friend of mine and his dad, not because of sickness, but other situations. His dad went to be with the Lord yesterday morning. No one anticipated that to happen. We don't know when our day is. The Bible says, appointed unto every man wants to die. And then after that comes a judgment. I don't care about no judgment because I know I'm pardoned and I know I'm forgiven. And you don't have no fear when you've been forgiven about judgment. You don't have that. But it is so important that we make things right with God today. The most dangerous risk a person can take is to live one more day without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because your time can be up and you was like, well, I want to do it in the last moments of my life, you know. And, and it surprises you and it takes your life away and you are not prepared. That is the most horrendous risk that you could ever take is to try. Well, you know, well, maybe tomorrow. No, the, my Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. Indeed, the right time is now. 
Today is the day of salvation. One more story, and I'm going to hush for today. At the wreck of the ship, ship was called the London. A lady was invited to take a place in a lifeboat as it was leaving a sinking ship. And you know, when, when you're getting in a lifeboat, getting away from a big ship, you got to get way away because as it goes down, it creates a suction that will pull the lifeboat down with it. She looked at the waves and the distance she had to jump. It was just a couple of feet. Although it was small, it appeared far. And so she hesitated. And while she waited, the danger grew worse. Jump those in the boat, cried out. Jump! We must push off now. Jump or it will be too late. For the boat was moving off and the distance was now really too great. Oh, oh, please stay. Well, please come back, she cried as she recognized her dreadful situation. This was now impossible. And she was lost. I'm telling you, today is the day of salvation. Today, you can ask Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior. And you can let him change your heart. And forgive all your sins. And you can do that today. But if we wait, there's going to be a time when it's just too late for you. It's just going to be that time. It's just going to... It's just going to sneak up upon you before you can know about it. And that's why it's so important, not just me and Susan, but it's so important that you and I, our family and our friends, that we tell them about Jesus' forgiveness and what he went through. We need to tell them because we love them. Hey, the, the, the lifeboat's getting... Jump now! Jump now! Last week I told you guys to... You push your little button on share, uh, the, the messages on the computer and on your cell phones and all. And, and numbers went up, tremendously went up of people who was listening to the service online and, and joining us in prayer. The numbers is going up because you push a little button and said share. I know that's hard to do that. Boom. And people heard the gospel. Okay, that's fantastic, but... Men and women, boys and girls who are in our life right now, and we can text them, or we can make a phone call, or we can, uh, what do they call that, FaceTime them, or Zoom them, or write them a snail mail, or whatever, but we can just tell them how much we love them, and how much Christ has meant for us, and, and for such a time as this, you just want to tell them about the love of God, and what he's done for you, and what he'll do for them. We've got to make it right now. I know our time has gotten away from us and I haven't been able to say everything I wanted to say. I'm going to do my best to stay on this side of that line right now. But I want you to reaffirm your faith in Christ like you mean it. And those of you who drifted off course, get right with God today. You might not have a mark. You might have another year or two. Who knows? But let's get right with God today. And... If you're not sure, let's make your declaration of faith to Christ today. All you guys who are in here and all you guys watching online, let's just get right with God. Let's let him remove the fear and the anxiety about our future and be in on what's going on in these last days. Would you bow your heads with me right now and would you join me in a simple prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son, Jesus. I believe that Jesus took the beatings. 
And then he died on the cross. He shed his blood to wash my sins away. And then he rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus Christ. I take him. I accept him as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my soon coming King. I receive your pardon. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you so much for what you've done for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, Almighty God, to nudge other people closer to you. In Jesus' name.